Welcome to the podcast, Talking the Talk with Don. How are you doing? Great. How are you? I'm doing, you know, it's good. You know, it was kind of gray and rainy, so I was pretty happy. But then the sun came out and I had to close all the curtains. And I've got... I've got this thing about the sun. I'm not. I'm not a big fan of it. Obviously, you know. Uh, you know, I'm the same way. That's why the the Pacific Northwest is a great place for me for that exact reason. So, it's also it's overcast. Although, I mean, it's very bright at the same time. You know, and the 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 clouds are just thin enough that everything is. You still need sunglasses when you go outside. It's kind of like that. But um, but yeah, it's been it's January as everyone likes to call it. It's the month of June, but I like it. So, what do you like about it? Uh, I mean, again, the the sun thing. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I have very light sensitive eyes, so mm-hmm. living in a place that's overcast and that rains a lot is is really helpful in that department. And you know, I just there's a it's like a Scandinavian concept called Hugo. I don't know if, if you're familiar with that. I'm, f- I'm familiar with it. Yeah. But I'd, I've never heard anyone actually really talk about it, to be honest. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a cultural concept of essentially, you know, cause it's very dark and rainy and cold there. And what they do is it, they just embrace it. So they want to, mm-hmm. you know, like candles, wear like really cozy, comfy things, you know, just hunker down inside and make it this really warm and comforting kind of thing, you know? So I like to do the same exact thing. I think the older that I've gotten, yeah, you know, and, and I kind of felt this way, like maybe, you know, probably starting about 25 years ago or so, but that there's some, there's some comfort in the dark, I guess you would sort of say, like, it, you know, there's, I don't know. Like, I feel like some for so long as kids, we're kind of taught that the dark is kind of a spooky place or a scary place or a, a somber thing. And the older I've gotten, I've kind of found this beauty and kind of dark gray, overcast, cold, you know, because like you said, like, I don't know, there's something about it. Yeah, absolutely. I do find something comforting in it as well. Your first album, which is out, is called uh, Ancient tomes right volume one the mother of light and i have to say that it was one of the most intriguing and honestly emotionally moving things that i've heard um in 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 a long time and i mean like there's a handful of artists that have put out music that have moved me uh, this much i was very excited to see that there was an american out here is that kind of where that came from? I mean, there seems to be a very European kind of Scandinavian influence to your writing. You know, it wasn't deliberate, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, I do feel you know that over the years I've listened to a lot of music from Europe and Scandinavia, and so of course it just it does directly influence what I'm doing, whether I mean it you are not you know it just i think it just kind of happens that way i I think one of the things that struck me actually first off was that you kind of took on the the um i don't want to say a moniker but it's almost like a personality of sorts with a serpentine and so am i talking with ann k o'neill or serpentine or are they the same 
You know, that's interesting because I, I feel like a few people have brought that up and mm-hmm. Serpentant is not intended to be a moniker, mm-hmm. you know, kind of this overarching project umbrella that is just a way to identify the project. And even, I mean, and even the name itself, actually, just to kind of like background story on that was when I started writing some music you know, I got to this place where I was like, you know, I think I should do something with it. And then, uh, and then I actually ended up with the name because it came to literally came into me in a dream. And I like, it was this whole scenario of being in this sort of like ancient courtyard with all of these ruins. And there were all of these women that were wearing these black shrouds and they were mar- like marching in a procession and they were chanting that word over and over again. And I woke up saying it and I was like, so attention, circuit, wait, what is that? And I like, I wrote it down immediately because I was like, this is really bizarre and awesome. Um, and then I, you know, and then I also, of course, looked it up. I was like, is this even an actual word? And it turns out that... <laughs> In French, it is a word. Uh, it's pronounced completely different, of course, um, but it, and it's a verb, which is like to wind or snake. Right. Um, but yeah, and so when I had that dream, I immediately was like, well, that's what I have to call this. I have to call my project Serpentant. You know, this is like felt right, you know? This was one of the hardest records for me or albums for me to review in a long time because I couldn't just do a review. Like I was like, this album is so much more than just a, oh, this song was good and this song was good. This song, you know what I mean? And like, so I really kind of found myself connecting with it in a way that I didn't quite understand when i saw how you had get how it had been under this serp- serpentant umbrella it all of a sudden made sense to me because like you said it was almost kind of like an identity of kind of a way to identify the different aspects of your creative output so is there something besides serpentant about you that carries over into another diff- like other different musical worlds like is or serpentent like your primary thing yeah that is my primary thing um at least you know at this point uh, in the past i mean i've been in other bands um and i am currently like a an active member in a like a death industrial project called to end it all which and then like you know, none of that actually is is my original material. That's all my friend Joy Von Spain and her partner, Masaki. Um, and they invited me to play guitar and do backing vocals on that. And I love what they do. So, and it's, you know, and it's right. It's, a, it, um, yeah, it just made, it makes sense, provided my background. Because, you know, it's like, I've, I've been involved with, underground music scene since I was 13. I started going to, you know, punk shows and metal shows as a, as a teenager, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that said, I think it's interesting too that you're picking up on all the, the different things that go into Serpentant because my interests in music, are just, they're just all over the place, you mm-hmm. know. 
So, because I grew up around musicians, my grandmother was a pianist, was a phenomenal singer, mm-hmm. you know. So, I feel like um, the thing about Serpentant is it does feel like my outlet to kind of draw from all of these different things that have inspired me over the years and just kind of put it all into one thing. There's so many layers. Like I hear like occult rock. I hear, you know, some like modern dark folk, but I also hear like elements of Joan Baez and Buffy St. Marie, the kind of darker, the not so pretty around the edges kind of stuff that really, but this stuff was stuff that really spoke to you um, and spoke to me. Even Kate Bush at times, I heard some in there. Am I kind of in the right area as far as some of the influences that you pull from? Yeah, absolutely. Nailing it, actually. Um, I mean, I think like a, you know, another big one is um, like, yes, was a huge influence. It's still a, a huge influence for me. Like, I adore that band. Uh, you know, and that contributes to like some, I mean, because, you know, some of those songs are, are lengthy and mm-hmm. and that's, that's kind of part of where that comes from. Um, also, you know, it's just my interest in classical music as well. Um, you know, because I do, I can play uh, classical piano and um, but that's also why yes spoke to me was because you know it's like when you look at the that record close to the edge and they have songs that are like broken down into chunks and they're like so we have and you and I but then it's in three parts like sweets of swords right right you know and so when I when I saw that I was like this is incredible you know <laughs> I want to write these kinds of songs, but you know, clearly it's a different vibe. I'm not writing like really intricate prog rock. To to be able to do songs that long too, like you can't just phone it in. You've got to really have something to say, like you know, musically and lyrically, but at the same time, kind of creating a visual narrative. You know, Sonnet Orpheus Four. It's clocking in at almost eleven minutes. What was what is the deciding factor for you in how long? Uh, like, does it just come out at a certain point? Like, as as far as how long the song is going to be when you're creating it, or do you kind of go into it going, okay, I've made a three minute song, but I want it to be ten minutes and fourteen seconds? No, you know the length is not a deliberate thing. It is mm-hmm. something that you know it just kind of depends on what happens with the song as I write it. Um, you know, and it's interesting, like, um, cause the, uh, Sonata on Orpheus is like, uh, that was a whole other interesting process because I was, I was learning to speak German and still learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found a, a book of Rilke's poems and the book is Sonnets to Orpheus. And I was just, I was reading it in German not completely understanding all of it, but I was like, I don't know. I was like, this is heavy. This is impacting me even just, you know, just the, like the phonetics of it. And then I read the translation and I was like, it's literally heavy. It's like translating like human emotions to like the earth and, you know, mm-hmm. and just taking all of our heaviness and, and putting it back into the planet. And it's this whole cyclical thing. And I was like, I have to write a song. So like with these, with this poem as the lyrics, you know? Um, And then somehow, then also with that, it just so happened that the timing, so the beginning part of it's actually in 5-4, it's a 5-4 signature, which, you know, is just one of those things where it's like, oh, 
well, it just coincidentally worked with like the meter of the poem, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and then, and then, yeah, from there, it just, the rest of it just unfolded. That song changes time signatures three times, you know? Uh, <laughs> which, which would excite the prog rockers everywhere, but to be honest. <laughs> totally. Um, but, you know, I, I, when I started it, I wasn't like, I'm going to change time signatures three times. You know, it just, it just works. And it felt organic and it was just part of the creative process, you know? Well, so speaking of the album, you had your album release this past weekend. So congratulations. Thank you. And I was curious because I would have loved to have seen how these songs were translated into a, um, into a live setting. So how was that for you to kind of take these songs that were pretty grand and Mm -hmm. find a way to present them in a live setting with what it was as a trio is, am I, am I right? It was like you and two others. Yes. Yeah. That's a lot of music for three people to be making, you know? So like, how was that for you as far as making that happen? Yeah, uh, it was really fun. And, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like it also kind of ties into my, I guess my grand plan with Sir Pendant too, is to write songs that I can play on my own. So, you know, there are going to be times where it's just me playing some like stripped down acoustic versions of these songs. But then, you know, it's like having this, these solid foundations, you know, that you can build on to greater or lesser degrees. So with playing as a, excuse me, as a trio. um, So they had uh, Dylan Desmond on bass and Mm -hmm. it really helps also that he is a wizard and can, um, so he can do so many different things and he does a lot of like tapping and, you know, so many things. So it sounds sometimes like it's more than just a bass. It sounds like multiple instruments and he has all these right. pedals, you know, like he's truly a, a master of his craft. Um, and then uh, the other person on stage with me was my friend Jess, who like he's, he has a, like a really heavy industrial project called Swishblade. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like, I went to, we've been friends for some time and I went to one of his shows though. And I was like, oh, wow. Like he's really great at drum programming, can multitask and, you know, do like a bunch of synth stuff. So, you know, I invited him to play and, you know, he knocked it out of the park. So, you know, so he was doing drum programming, doing synths, I'm playing guitar. I've got a bassist that sounds like it's multiple instruments, Mm -hmm. you know, so it all came together. And this, so it's not as complex as, you know, what you listen to on the record, but it was still very like rounded and full, you know? With this kind of music too, especially with the, like I said, with the layers and the, um, just the overall arrangements of the songs, I'd almost be kind of bummed if I went and heard it live and was like, wow, that sounds just like, like whenever people would say, wow, they sounded just like the record. Like to me, I'd be like, that, is that really good? Like, I want to hear kind of an organic spin or like or like like you said kind of more like something like a natural presentation it it is was this the first time you performed like this with this material or have you done this as serpentant before um this was the first time yeah Mm -hmm. and and yeah and it was really fun and i also feel like we 
you know, we had to do it. We did have to do some problem solving, especially when you're working with gun programming, you know, and it's like, all right, like there's only so many ways you can do this, you know, because no one can start without, unless you have in-ear monitors and have like the tempo going. So, you know, we had to, we had to come up with some creative solutions, but it was, it was really great and it worked. And I, you know, even had a, a friend in the audience on Saturday who is also a musician and was completely unaware of, you know, all of the, the work that we put into that. And he commented on how, how smooth those transitions were. He was like, that was really cool. And I was like, thank you for noticing, you know? So that's great. I have a bad habit of loving music and bands that live nowhere near me. So like is now oh. being that you're in America, probably more likely I'll get to see you than some of my European friends. But um, is this something you're going to take on the road eventually um, as far as like a kind of an extensive tour of sorts? Yeah, uh, I hope so. I am currently trying to, you know, talk to a, with a booking agent about setting something up. Um because also, you know, at next year, I actually will be relocating to Berlin. So I will soon not be technically. I'm losing. Oh, God, I was so happy to have you here. Oh, I know you're leaving. Okay. Well, I'll forgive you. It's okay. <laughs> so why Berlin? Oh, well, um, several reasons, I guess. Uh, so quite a, a while ago, you know, I visited and I loved it. And then I had just, you know, kind of entertained the idea of possibly going back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so this winter, I just decided to see about applying for an artist residency there. And I sent in my application. And then a month later, they were like, you're in. Um, so, you know, it's like that basically, I'm just going to go there late December. The residency starts the first week of January. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I figure once I'm there, I'm just going to hang out and see what happens. Um, and I have, a, I have so many friends there. It's just kind of like, it's, it's sort of like my European home base. So, Oh, that's great. Um, and it just, you know, I, I just really appreciate that, you know, um, Europe really seems to appreciate artists a lot more than the United States. You know, there's a lot of opportunities and grants and all sorts of things happening over there that just unfortunately are not accessible here. Like when I see these musicians coming out of Sweden who are old enough to be my kids and they're playing music and they're supported by their government and their country and they're encouraged. And I'm like, if I would have known then what I knew now, you know, like, although I, I wouldn't have met my wife, but that's a whole other thing. But, you know, um, but yeah, there's something to be said about going someplace where you're going to be appreciated and also inspired and pushed a little more than you are. That's it right there, you know? Um, yeah. And everything that you just said right there, you know, it's like when you look at, I mean, especially in Scandinavia, you know, it's like, I really, I love a lot of Scandinavian black metal and, you know, you look at like some of those bands in the eighties and some of those guys were like 14 years old cranking out like these amazing records and you're like wait what and you're like oh it's because they're encouraged to do this and they you know they have access to these resources and then of course you know they spend winter like snowed in but 
it's just it's something i just i really wish that i had had like that head start you know but mm -hmm. what can you do i don't know you're doing pretty damn good because this album is is like I, I mean and i'm never gonna forgive you by the way if you move to berlin and never come back and tour i'll be so sad and devastated <laughs> no i definitely want to i would love to go on like a, a proper full united states tour so you know and, and this type of music also seems to be sadly overlooked and e even under un like underplayed i think or underutilized in the states and you know, I always feel like I jokingly get to ask a lot of my, you know, Swedish and Finnish friends who are in all these great bands, like, you know, it must be in the water. What do you think is not in the water here that keeps more artists from developing such an incredible sound like yourself? What is our water <laughs> lacking? <laughs> um, well, you know, that's a really good question. I. I think maybe part of it could be attributed to just how, you know, like our, our society is so, so consumer based mm -hmm. that I think a lot of people, you know, they see bands that are successful and rather than try to come up with something that is original and it's their own thing, they just want to, they just want to mimic everyone, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that there's, a, there's a lot of that. And, you know, so, and sometimes that could be cool. You know, it's like there, there are some bands that are, are really fantastic and there are tons of carbon copies of them. And, um, you know, but it's like at the end of the day, there's like, as an example, there's, there's really only one neurosis. There's a ton of bands that sound like them, but, you know, but like, how, how is that going to, you know, I don't know, do anything other than just like maybe the, the people playing that music, like that makes them happy and that's great. But you know, I don't know. Am I making sense? I just. You're actually making total sense because as you were saying this, like I just was reminded of uh, talking to a, a friend of mine a, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about bands who sound like other bands, you know, and one of the things he was talking, you know, what do you, what, what are, what are they doing as artists to kind of further, you know, broaden the scope of what, you know people are gonna listen to you know like i don't know you know it's like you know when, when i listen to you know jess and the ancient ones and lick and tropey and Wu can i want to go listen to um you know jethro tull and jefferson airplane you know what i mean Be but they're doing their thing to kind of broaden that scope of what modern music is you know instead awesome. of just doing a carbon copy i do also think that a lot of people are doing that because they think that that's that's going to bring them success but then i think that that ties into it you know i think if if you're doing something simply because you're like oh well this is gonna this is gonna be real popular mm -hmm. you know i think it's very transparent i think people see through that you know whereas i mean that's certainly not that was not my intention ever when I started writing music. I wasn't like, oh, you know, I'm gonna, this is gonna get real popular. You know, I just, I just wanted to, to channel all of these different things and feelings and concepts from books I read and mm -hmm. you know, just, just have something to, 
I don't know, it makes sense of everything that's that's up in, in my brain because there's a lot going on up there, you know, so. Do you feel like that as you've gotten older, like, and, and not just age, but in just um, a, a, as an artist in general or as a writer, that the further along you get, the more freer you, you, you become or the more, like, the less you care about, like you said, like, who's going to like this and who isn't? Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, there's something magical about, I don't know, for me anyway, it was definitely like when I turned 30, um, and that was eight years ago. Um, but yeah, I've, I've really felt like there was this, this kind of shift where all of a sudden I, I stopped caring about expectations or, um, you know, or yeah, or like, what's, what are people going to think or any of that stuff, which you know, also with, I don't know, it's funny how even like my background with, with a lot of like extreme music and punk and metal, like generally speaking, you would think that, oh, like who cares what anybody thinks, but you know, that sticks with you for a little while. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad like when I, I hit that point where it was like, all right, yeah, I don't care anymore. And then the more I do things and the more I work on things, uh, I feel, I feel very free. That's like a really good word for it. Cause I just, I don't know. I don't want, I don't want to have any boundaries. I just want to be able to like get my ideas out into the world. And, and I'm stoked to like be in a place where I have the confidence to do that. You know, what was that defining moment for you? Right. right. Well, and I mean, and I feel like I should, you know, it was mostly with, with music specifically. Um, and it, it was, yeah, eight years ago. Um, you know, cause I had, I guess I was in my, first band when I was 28 mm -hmm. uh, and that it was it was a really great experience it was kind of like this uh sort of like post-punk death rock band that some friends of mine started <laughs> you know yeah it was really fun um you know and that was kind of this this moment of okay you know this is uh this is a thing that I really want to oh I'm sorry my my thoughts are all over the place because I was like, it's a thing that I really wanted to pursue before that. But I think that really like set that in stone, you know? Um, but with that being said, you know, it's like I, most of my experience prior to that has been like as a visual artist, you know? So it's like, cause I've been painting since I was a kid, um, you know, but I started having art shows in my like my mid twenties and it was just this thing that I was so used to and comfortable with that, um, you know, it's like, yeah, whatever. It's just this thing that I do. Whereas, you know, with music, I think like I placed like so much importance on it that it was kind of, like, I was kind of nervous, honestly, at first it was like, Oh, okay. This is this thing that like, it's a really big deal to me. And, um, but yeah, it was like with that first band though, like that really like helped me get over a lot of that. And then, yeah, again, I think also just getting older and being like, who cares? Like literally who cares? I just want to do this thing. And it makes me happy. The whole concept of the album, let's see, I kind of wrote a little thing. It said, uh, so it's part of, it's the first part of a trilogy, which is a conceptual trilogy, the ancient tomes, right? And, um, this one, the mother of light, I kind of had that it kind of personifies death, at least to me with this beautiful as a beautiful entity, as opposed to one that's kind of like dark and eerie or whatever. But um, 
where did that overall concept come from? And because that's not a very easy, like, I don't just get up one morning and go, I'm going to write a three part <laughs> concept album, you know, like, so where did, where did this brew from? There are quite a bit of things that go into it. Um, you know, I think, or just where do I start? Um, you know, I think a big part of it started with, you know, I was actually in a, in a really, really bad car accident that, you know, I almost died. And uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, you know, just to get heavy on it. But um, no, thank you for sharing that, by the way. This is, yeah. And so, you know, it's like in, in coming out of that, uh, you know, definitely had a, a lot of time to, to reflect on things. And, um, and then it's like, and then after that, you know, it's like, then I, you know, my grandmother passed away and I was very close with her. Um, and it, you know, it's just one of those things, like it was a very dark time. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, my, I'm, I'm not a religious person. I don't believe, I think organized religion is, I mean, I'm sorry if you're religious, but <laughs> it's oh. like for me. <laughs> Look, I was raised yeah. Catholic and I haven't been, I haven't, I haven't been Christian since 1992. So I think, yeah, you're, you're, yeah. you're talking to the right person. <laughs> so um, please keep yeah. Now I feel even more connected to you. So please. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, you know, so I was like, well, I don't, you know, I don't believe in prayer. I'm not going to read the Bible. Um, but, you know, what I have always gravitated towards is philosophy. And I take mm -hmm. a lot of effort in reading philosophy books because it's kind of trying to take our reality and make sense of it. And, you know, with the understanding that maybe we're never going to completely make sense of it. But, mm -hmm. you know, we can try, right? Um <clears throat> And so I think that's where a lot of these ideas came from. You know, I, I read a lot of George Bataille at the time. And uh, yeah, that's not light reading. No, <laughs> no, it certainly is not. Um, but, you know, it's like he had he has some some concepts like his nonfiction is is incredible. Like, I, I think it's. I mean, and you know, his his fiction writing is is interesting too, but it's not. And I've read some of his his not or his fiction and and the whole. Uh, I don't know. It's um, anyway. I'm kind of getting off track. Um, but yeah, I wanted to touch base on on some of his ideas surrounding death, and there's there's one. Well, it's hard to explain without giving away like the whole the whole trilogy. Mm -hmm. um, has a book called the accursed chair and there was one specific thing that he wrote about in it when he talks about like um like just basically like the the laws of nature and how that correlates to how we exist as a society and and the problems that can occur when there's like there's overabundance mm -hmm. and, and it just you know it was one of those things that just hit me like a ton of bricks and i just couldn't shake it in a so you know, I, I basically wanted to take that and just explore it, but with music and tie it into this whole theme of like, you know, 
the death of death. And, you know, because we live in this like this modern world where we're constantly trying to avoid death, but then also like cause the death of like all of these things that don't have to die. And we're like killing mm-hmm. cultures and, you know, so there's just, there's so much at play with the concept of this record and, and the trilogy for that matter. Um, but I felt like because there is so much involved with it, that it would make sense to, to break it down into different sections. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think maybe like the more obvious thing is to do like a, like three parts because, you know, and like, and the occults and esoteric studies and all of these things, like three is such a, like, it's a huge number and it's, very representational of like different cycles and you know there's like start middle and end Mm -hmm. that whole thing so you know i just i just went with that and it it all came together into this this concept trilogy i think it's absolutely beautiful and i think it's so because like you said like you touched on earlier about not having religious ties or being christian or anything like like i don't you know, I think any form of organized religion is just, um, I feel like it's encapsulating, you know, like it just, it creates too much of a cocoon for people. And, you know, and I'm sure people who practice would disagree. But one of the things you mentioned was like the occult and the esoteric and stuff. I really started to delve into that over the past maybe 12 years or so. And one of the things I was super shocked, or not even really shocked, but I still kind of laugh about it, is people seem to assume that if you are even a practitioner of the occult or dark, you know, the dark magics or, you know, you know, left-hand path, whatever it is you do, that you're broken or that something terrible happened to you or somebody touched you badly when you were a kid to make you just hate God. And then I was like, you know what? I, I was like, I was, something did break me, but not not in a way that was like that, but maybe it was like something occurred in my life that made me go, and of course I can pinpoint it, but that made me go, you know what? Yeah, this is not, this isn't this isn't jiving with me like you know and then the minute i denounced religion and christianity or anything else all of a sudden i felt like my life just got so much lighter and like i could concentrate on just being a good person you know and living a good life as opposed to fearing what was going to happen after we die you know right so like in the um ancient tomes like you said like when we're talking about kind of you know, you know, putting death to death of sorts. What do you believe happens to us after we leave the, this living plane? If that's not too personal to ask you, but. I don't think it's too personal. I would say that. I don't really know. I don't, you know, but I don't believe in like heaven and hell or purgatory or mm-hmm. you know, any of those things, because, you know, as far as things like that go, I, I pay more attention to the laws of physics, you know? And it's like, when you think about like what happens to energy, I, I just like to think that maybe like, you know, 
whatever energy is within us because we all have, you know, electricity is what's making our bodies do what they do. Mm-hmm. And that has to go somewhere, right? Yeah. But, you know, there's, there's so many different outlets. There's so many different places. It could become part of the wind. It could go into the, you know, the sea. It could, you know, just go somewhere, I think. But I don't, it's not like, uh, it's the energy that's within our bodies also is like, it's not connected to our brain. Like our brain is like physical matter. The information that mm-hmm. we're processing is completely attached to that physical matter. Once our brain stops working, all of that information's gone, you know, mm-hmm. it just, but there's the energy. So I just, I don't know. I, part of me likes to think that maybe even we just like shoot out into the atmosphere and we just go surfing through the stars, but you know, I don't know for sure, but <laughs> See, I love that. No, because that was my, that was my actually personal thought too, is that we just kind of disperse, you know, like we just kind of become, you know, I don't know. Like I always thought it was kind of funny that, you know, in, in Catholic religion, you were, you were here ashes to ashes, dust to dust, you know? And I was just like, but that's exactly what we are, you know, like, you know, the Joni Mitchell song, you know, we're stardust, we're billion year old carbon, you know, and I'm just like, that's, we're just going to become energy again, you know, but, um, wow, this totally took a different turn than I was expecting it to. I hope that doesn't bug you out. (laughs) No, these are great questions. I'm, I'm still, I've only had, I guess, two other interviews, but these are very different questions than the last couple ones that I've had and, and I'm for it, you know? Oh, good. Well, you know, it's kind of funny cause I usually come up with these questions, like kind of like a prompt of questions in case like it's not going well. And then I can just turn it into a Q and a, but all of a sudden, like sometimes I just totally go off the page and now I'm looking at my, I'm like, I have no idea where I'm at, but I'm happy. This is great. So, but, um, well, so the other two parts of ancient tomes, are they complete? um ready to go are they recorded or are they like are you just having to go in and just do them as you're ready yeah that's that is where i'm at with it um you know because the the pandemic really uh i mean as with everybody you know it created a lot of setbacks and Mm -hmm. uh, you know so it's like even getting this first record complete was was quite the the task at the end of the day, even though, you know, it was like we had everything ready to go, but there were just so many things that got postponed. And um, and then of course, like from the financial standpoint, it was just, I don't know, there's just been a lot of like catch up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the, the next two records, they are written, so they are ready to be recorded. Um, and hopefully, uh, the second record, we're going to go in and record probably like late fall, early winter. Mm. So ideally before I bounce to Berlin. And uh, yeah. That seems like it would be the perfect time too. like, um, uh, you know, like weather wise and kind of vibe wise to go in to recording. And that's what I was also going to ask you that kind of goes into this one was that, you know, being, you know, in the Pacific you know, Northwest, where you were at, how much of that inspired or even helped you um, capture the vibe that you captured on uh, uh, Ancient Tomes 1? Uh, I would say it contributed, it contributed quite a bit. Um, 
quite a bit. Just, you know, the landscape out here, it's, I mean, it's so moody, just naturally, you know, it's like even when you drive on the highway and you look side to side, you're just still surrounded by this like giant corridor, these like towering evergreens and, you know, um, but then I like to spend a lot of time out in nature, I go hiking and do things like that. Um, there's a lot of old growth forests, uh, you know, and um, I'm not from here. I moved here in 2006 um, from Kansas. So it's very different. Yeah, you know, so it's like when I came out here and I'll never forget the first time I went to an old growth forest and you see like trees growing out of tree stumps. And, you know, sometimes there's trees growing out of trees growing out of trees, like just depending on how long in there which some of them is like hundreds of years you know mm -hmm. um and so there's something about you know seeing that and seeing all of this like new life springing forth from all this death and decay it's fascinating you know and it, it made a huge impact on me and i absolutely feel like that contributes to you know like how how i write music and how i conceptualize things so I only have a couple more questions for you. God, I, I, I feel like I've kept you way too long. I feel like I could keep you another hour. Um, which, yeah, that's a whole other thing too. But is that, you know, what was it about the overall vibe or sound of dark music that attracted you or appealed to you? Because, you know, as we both know, like being not too far apart in age at some point, like we were listening to music that was a little chirpier and happier than it is now, you know, but then something happens that you're just like, oh, I want that. Like, what was that for you? Well, you know, so I, I'm the youngest and I have three older brothers, all of whom were into, you know, darker, weird music in like the late 80s, early 90s, you know. So, you know, when I was like a seven, you know, my, I'll never forget when one of my brothers came home with a Ride the Lightning tape and put it on. And I was, you know, and seven-year-old brain was like, I don't know what this is. This is the fastest, weirdest thing I've ever heard. I really like it. I want you know? more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just, you know, I feel like I'm really lucky to have had a lot of like really early exposure to a lot of music. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I think that that kind of, kind of set the tone and then it just, you know, carried on from there uh, just to find more stuff that was different and interesting mm -hmm. than what you, I mean, of course I did like some radios, some yeah, radio hits or whatever, um, especially and then like all the grunge stuff that became very popular and I was mm -hmm. like super that um you know but definitely by the time i was 14 though like if anything was on the radio like i wanted nothing to do with it you know i was just like this you know. <laughs> and <laughs> so you know um and <laughs> yeah and then i guess and that being said also it's like again it's like with the, having older brothers like i'll never forget like having you know having these very early memories of just raiding the record store and going in and being like okay like what, what what's what can we get you know mm -hmm. what can we afford because of course we have limited budgets because we weren't you know particularly wealthy and but it was just this thing and we we're like you know pocket lunch money just so we could buy a, 
a tape or a CD or whatever, you know? I was a good friend of mine used to be the um, uh, a PR person for Nuclear Blast Records, and her and I um, are pretty close in age, but we're always we talk a lot. And she lives out in LA, and um, where I was talking about records, and I was, you know, I'm I'm in that midlife crisis now where I'm like, not only am I buying vinyl, but I'm rebuying vinyl that I had when I was a kid that I might have got rid of at some point, you know, because I want it back, and. We were talking about how, you know, back in the day is like, you know, you could either usually buy a record or two cassettes. And so sometimes you, you had this like scattered media, you know, like I might have, you know, all the Iron Maiden albums on vinyl, but then I'd have like four of them on cassette because I wanted to get two at one time. You know? it's, so it was just amazing. Like, like kids will never know the struggle again, like what that was like, you know? <laughs> But, you know, it's true. I don't know. And I guess, you know, I, I feel lucky to have been kind of like, I guess, kind of like right at the, the end of that. Because, um, you know, I'm like kind of like right on the, the cusp of like yeah. Gen X millennials. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I really value all of the effort that it took to find stuff, you know, and there, and because, we, you know, I didn't have the internet, we didn't have the internet. Mm-hmm. It was like, you literally just had to find things from your like hearsay, like your friends giving you advice. Maybe you found a scene or something, or you know, like those little slips in like the records that like have like oh yeah, you could mail order and like pay for with a money order. You know, so you know, and it's interesting because there was a lot of stuff that like I I did completely skip over just because I didn't I just did not know it existed. And mm-hmm. but there's other stuff that you know that I discovered that what just blew my mind yeah so i don't i i think it's i think it's neat i really liked having that experience and then now we do have everything at our fingertips so if you do want to find something it's pretty easy which is great but i don't know i think it it built some character you know i really do think it did too because you know like you I, i like what you were talking about about how like you know i don't know if iron maiden was putting out a new album like you had to just keep your fingers crossed and hope it was as good as the one before it. Like, cause you didn't get like a, a preview track online or like a, you know, an advanced download. It's like you either got the single before it came out and then you had to pray that the rest of it was as good. <laughs> you know? yeah. So we had that element of surprise, you know, and <laughs> you know, but I also have to say that what I loved about your album about with the uh, ancient tomes one, you did not go slack on the packaging on this thing. That thing went right back to my childhood where like, I, I actually wish I could have a video of it. And cause I sat in my chair over here, put it on, I had it opened. Like I was eating a candy bar and I'm reading the lyrics, you know, and I'm going, God, I'm 13 all over again. Cause it was so exciting. So awesome. did that come from that old school mentality of yours to, want to put a package together like that definitely yeah absolutely because because of that exact same thing it's like that that excitement of when you open a record and then you find out that there's more than just a lyric sheet you know or it's just like having all of these different things it's like it it's very engaging and exciting you know so yeah i'm for that well i loved it and i spent a lot of time with it and i'm gonna spend even more time with it and 
I guess to close things out, what what are we going to see from Serpentent for the rest of 2022? No, um, I am going to play with the Cascadia, which is like a summer solstice festival here in Washington. So that's um, I'm excited about that. And then um, I have some other shows in the works, but they aren't they aren't announced yet. So I, I don't think I'm supposed to talk about them. But we've got some like hopefully kind of bigger things coming up in August and October. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then again, like working on trying to sort out details for doing a tour and hopping into the studio ideally in like probably November. Well, Anne, thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's been a while, but I appreciate your your time. And I really enjoyed getting to know you and to learn more about your music and Ancient Tomes Part 1, The Mother of Light. Like I said, thank you so much for all your time. I appreciate it. For sure. Likewise. Likewise.